This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss you're listening to the quickbook reviews podcast brighten your day with a book hello my fellow bookworms this is philippa from quickbook reviews author interviews and book reviews how are you all doing are you okay well, a child has, well, children have gone back to school from half term and the, I just don't understand how one 14-year-old son cannot apply deodorant. I mean, I said, all you need to do now is go upstairs and put deodorant on. And then 10 minutes later, we need to go. Are you, yes, 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 comes down. Have you put deodorant on? No. But you've got to put some on. Oh, okay. Put some on. And <laughs> I'm glad I supervised it because otherwise I wouldn't have believed it. Maybe I applied. I'm sorry to talk about deodorant here, but maybe I applied too much. But I, I do like to apply a good amount. Well, barely a little spray had emerged from the deodorant. This deodorant is going to last us years the way he's using it. He's certainly saving the planet. Um, it's disastrous. So I've stood there saying, you've, you've actually got to spray more. Come on, we need to do more. Honestly, the things you do. Anyway, let's get on to the books because I've got some brilliant books to talk to you about. The books we're reviewing today are The Prisoner by B.A. Paris, A Wedding in Provence by Katie Ford, The Interview by C.M. Ewan, The Club by Ellery Lloyd and Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Now, we have got uh, something a little different. So uh, recently in episodes, well, I say recently for a long time, I've been doing the main interview. And then with the second author, I've been doing just five minutes, five questions in five minutes. And then this week has been feedback week. So I've been asking you what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast, because otherwise, you know, I'm just going to keep sitting in the same old things. And bless you, there's lots of things you love about this podcast, but quite a few of you are not fans of the five questions in five minutes. So I'm so glad I asked. I had no idea. So today we do have two authors on, but they're going to be a bit longer chats with both of them. So we, we don't have the five questions in five minutes. So 
don't worry, you're safe here. But let's get started because they really are such a great selection of books. And the first one, as I said, is The Prisoner by B.A. Paris. This has just come out this month. Let me read you the blurb on this. So I was just about to read you the blurb, but I feel the blurb gives too much away. It's spoiled. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to say. So I am actually going to say a different blurb. <laughs> this is Philippa's blurb, which is just a few sentences because, yeah, I do feel I've just had to stop recording and and go back because. I'm just, certainly I'm glad I didn't read the blurb because it would have taken some of the surprises. So. This is the new revised blurb. It's dark, you don't know where you are, and you can hear footsteps approaching. That's all you need to know. Let me do the ch first chapter. Okay, here we go. Chapter one, present time. I sense the shift of air beneath my nose a millisecond before something thick sticky tape is clamped over my mouth, silencing the scream that would have ripped from me. My eyes snap open. A dark silhouette is bending over my bed. This book, let me tell you, is amazing. I raced through it. I loved it. It's not that long. Let me have a look. How many pages are we talking? Just under 250 pages. I thought it was extraordinary. I have enjoyed B.A. Paris's books before, but this one was just a game changer. I really enjoyed it. And you've got this movement from the present to the past, and it's done very clearly. Short sentences just pulls you in, grips you. Really good. And a really good one, I think, to talk about. So if you've got a book club as well, and you're into sort of more thrillers, then I think this would be a good one because it's just like, what? So anyway, yes, that, that's what I thought. But let's go and talk to B.A. Paris now. So B.A. Paris, whose latest wonderful book is The Prisoner, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me to come on and speak about The Prisoner. I just have to start off with my first question is basically just wow. What gave you the idea for this book? Actually, that's a really good question because I always know where my ideas come from, usually from something that I've experienced. For example, the breakdown, I was driving through um, a storm, through some woods, and that gave me the idea for the starting point of the breakdown and for the therapist I just moved into this old cottage and I thought about the people who had died there before and I wondered if anybody had been murdered and I thought actually that's a good start for a book so but for um, the prisoner Emily just came to me fully formed I just saw this girl in a darkened room and I thought well why is she there what is the story going to be and as I thought about her um, I thought, well, actually, this is I can build a story around her. And the strange thing is for me that although she was frightened, she wasn't very frightened and she seemed almost a little bit at ease. And I thought, well, something must have happened in her past to make her feel safer there than maybe she did before. So um, that was how I got the idea. And I don't know, I wrote it during lockdown, the third lockdown, which I found really difficult. And I think a lot of books have come out about people being trapped. And I wondered if that's a reflection of how we were feeling at the time. I mean, I think it's your best. Yeah, I mean, all your books are great, but I just thought this was uh, absolutely brilliant. When you when you had that idea, were you excited to start writing because it was just such a winner? I was really excited to start writing because I had no idea where the book was going to go. 
And as you've read the book, you probably know that halfway through there's a big twist. And I didn't even know that was coming until I practically got there. So what was exciting for me was just trying to work out the story as I went along and getting to know Emily and thinking about how she would react. So it was, you know, I do that with most of my books. I usually have the starting point and I often know how it's going to finish. Not for this one, though. And it's just a way of getting there. I just kind of let the characters lead me. I get to know them. So I was excited about starting this book for that reason. But um, I think I until the middle, when I suddenly realised, actually, I could do this. Um, that's when I got excited because it was something that I hadn't thought about doing. It hadn't occurred to me. And then I knew how the rest of the book would pan out because that's always sometimes you get stuck halfway through a book and you think, mm, where's it, the story going to go from here? if you're a penster like me and not a plotter. So, yeah, no, it was really interesting. And the book, for me, it's about suspense, secrets, suspicion, scandal. How do you sort of get all those different layers in? I don't know, really. I think I've just got quite a good imagination. Um, you know, and as I say, things come to me as I'm writing. Um, I'll just think, oh, gosh, the character could do this next. Or they are kind of leading me and I'll think, well, how would this character, What is? how is he going to react or she going to react? So... Um, yes, I have a good imagination, but honestly, my books are quite character-led, and I think that really helps me to work out those those twists and turns and to put some suspense into it. And I think really uh, what helps as well for me, I think that you know short chapters are probably the way to go now, especially if people are reading on a on a Kindle. Um, I think that people if they see a great big chunk, you know, and the. Uh, Often people think, I'll just read one more chapter. But if that chapter goes on for pages and pages and pages, I think they lose interest. So um, that's why I keep the suspense going, trying to write something exciting at the end of each chapter to make people want to read just one more. Yeah, I mean, for me, it really was a page turn. It's one of those where, you know, I start reading it in the bath and realise the water's gone cold and I'm still sitting there because, as you say, they're short chapters. So I think, oh, I'll just read one more chapter. and Oh, no, I've got to read another one. And, uh, you know, the short sentences as well. The, you've got the present, the past. It just it's a book I wanted to inhale. And from what you said, that that was deliberate. Yes, I think, you know, I think um, as well, the first part of the book where um, Emily is kept in a darkened room where nobody talks to her, it was a good idea to put the past in to show how she got there because, you know, there's only so much um, a person can do in a darkened room <laughs> with nobody to talk to. So it would have got a bit boring if I hadn't cut those chapters with past chapters. So I think that worked well because you have to kind of try and maintain the pace of a book. And that's quite hard if your character isn't really doing very much. So I hope I managed anyway using that past-present um, system. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I just, it, it really was one that I couldn't put down and wanted to find out. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was phenomenal. I mean, do you think, do you see a progression through your books as you've written them? Could you have written this book as your first one? Or is it as a result of the other books and you um, getting, gaining confidence as well in your writing? I'm not sure if that's true. I think our confidence gets a little bit knocked with each book we write, actually. I think especially when you've had something like Behind Closed Doors, I always feel I was very lucky with that book. It was I happened to write the right book at the right time. If I wrote Behind Closed Doors today, it might not even get published. So... Um, I think I was very lucky with that one. And has there been a progression in the sense that I've become more comfortable writing psychological thrillers and really enjoy 
thinking up the twists and the plot. Um, yes, I've become more comfortable in that way. And I think I've progressed well because I think, you know, the prisoner does have a lot of twists and turns um, because you do want to surprise your reader. You do want them to think at the end, well, actually, I hadn't guessed that. Um, so, but as for having more confidence, I think, you know, it's that's quite a, a tricky one. Do we have more confidence the more books we write? Do we become more at ease? I think the pressure is still there, very much there for each book. Um, I feel more pressure each time a book comes out. So um, when I get a reaction like yours, it's absolutely wonderful. Is that because of the pressure of the association of a good book with your name now that people think, well, if it, if there's a book by B.A. Paris, I'm going to pick it up, it's going to be good? Because that does create, I suppose, an ongoing pressure for you as a writer. Yes, I mean, you never want your readers to be disappointed in anything you've written. You know, you hope that they'll appreciate that you can't always write the same book. You can't always write behind closed doors. You know, I have to write different books, um, but you don't want them to be disappointed. And but then there's also very much about an author writing the book that they want to write at that time. And I know, for example, the dilemma that kind of um, I had some readers who said, well, this isn't a psychological thriller. To be fair, it wasn't billed as a psychological thriller. And my publisher was great because they took a gamble on that because that was a book I really needed to write at that moment in time. And I was trying to come up with a more psychological thriller type of book, but I couldn't because this book was getting in the way. And I do think that it is quite hard for an author to always have to write psychological thrillers and to always have to think up loads of twists and turns and, and try and surprise the reader. That There is that pressure all the time. And yes, you just want people, you know, I do have people, I have lovely readers who say, I love everything that you write, which is absolutely wonderful. But then you will get some who say, oh, I just didn't like that last one or whatever. And yeah, then you always feel that sense of, oh, you've let them down a bit. Oh, but you don't, Bernadette, you just <laughs> write great books. You should, um, yeah, it's a shame that you can't enjoy it. But I understand why I'm sure if I was if I was ever able to write as, as well as you, I, I would be feeling the stress of that as well. Um, in terms of how it ended, I mean, obviously no spoilers, but you mentioned that you had an idea of how it would end, or you do with some of your books, you know how it will start and possibly how it will end. Did you, did you really know with this one or, and did you make any changes about that as you were writing it? Yes, I made quite a few changes for the ending. It was really hard with this one to hit the right note because, um, so I did change the ending. I kind of had a great end, a good ending, a bad ending, and then I kind of went for somewhere in the middle because, um, yeah, I, I can't really say too much without giving the story no, away. No, don't, but, don't. Um, <laughs> it was necessary to to finish it, I thought, as I had, and I hope I did that with the ending I chose oh gosh yes and I wondered if the characters stay with you whatever happens to the characters in the books we won't again no spoilers but do they stay with you afterwards are they in your mind as you're going about your normal life they're very much present in my mind as I'm writing them but I have to admit by the time I'm doing the edits on for example the prisoner I'm already on to my next book I'm already writing the first draft of my next book. So my focus is really on those characters. So, um, you know, I am very fond of my characters. I've always been very fond of Grace and Millie. They'll always stay with me. And I'm really fond of Emily in this book. Um, and so she will always stay with me. But honestly, once you're onto your next book, you, they, you, those characters become your focus. 
And sometimes it's quite hard to remember your other characters. For example, if I have to talk about the breakdown or bring me back now, um, I really have to think about who those characters were. Yes, exactly. I'm interested because you say you wrote this in the third lockdown and obviously that was a difficult time. Was it... How was writing then when you weren't in lockdown? Was it freeing or was it actually another different type of difficult? It was freeing in the sense that you couldn't really go anywhere. So if you wanted to sit at your desk all day long, you could. But then, you know, I had family moving in with me. So um, and the distractions were completely different. Um, But no, I did enjoy that time. I think what helped during lockdown was all the walking because I really sorted out plots and things like that during my my walks that we were allowed to do. Um, And so that was great. And now I've learned if I'm stuck in a particular part of my book, I just go for a long walk. And as I'm walking, I think about the story and then I usually find a solution. So walking has become my new mentor, if you like. Oh, that's really good. So, Bernadette, can I just ask you about your usual writing day? Where do you write? How do you go about it? Do you have a set routine? If I'm in the middle of writing a book and not editing, um, I could write all day long if I had the chance to. But of course, there are other things that get in the way, daily life. Um, But, you know, if I say, well, I need two days, three days, I just want to get over this hurdle of writing this next chunk. Um, Yes, I'm quite happy to write all day long and I don't even see the time going. I, I become so immersed in in the novel. Um, But my writing day generally, I try and write every day. There's some days I can't write. And if I haven't written during the day, I will write before I go to sleep at night. I'll just put my computer on my knee in bed and write. I have various places I write in the house. Um, Where I'm sitting now, I have a beautiful view over the fields. So I do like sitting here. Um, I also have a room in the garden um, where I'll write, you know, in the spring and uh, the autumn when it's lovely and warm in, in there and cold outside. And I also write in bed quite a lot because the first thing I'll do in the morning if I don't have to get up to be anywhere is just put my computer on my knee and start writing there. So I don't have to be somewhere special or particular to be able to write. And as I say, you know, on a on a day when I'm writing, I'll just write all day long and barely stop for coffee um, or something to eat until I get really, really hungry. So I love those kind of days. And at the end of it, you just feel you've achieved so much. And were you writing because originally you worked in finance and then you were a teacher were you writing at that point and waiting to be able to stop work or did you finish you know working somewhere else and then became a writer yes I mean I had this vague idea always that I wanted to write and at the back of my mind while my children were growing up was that one day I would write stories for children because I was always making up stories to tell them And I would never in a million years have thought of writing a novel or thought I was capable of writing a novel until one of my daughters, who had told me she had an idea for a novel, um, and I saw a a competition in the Sunday Times, so I said to her, you know, you should maybe write your novel. She was 16 at the time. And it was kind of a joke, but then she wrote back and said to me, well, I can't because I've just looked up the conditions of entry and you have to be 18, but you've always said you wanted to write, so why don't you write a novel? And I said, oh, no, I could never write a novel of 80,000 words. But that night I just went to bed and I had this storyline in my head about this family. So when I got back to France, I just thought, um, because I was on holiday in England at the time, I thought, you know, maybe I should just do it. So I went out and bought a computer and I started writing and I couldn't stop. It was like this drug 
I became this terrible mother who, instead of having lovely meals waiting for my children, when they got home from school, I would just throw something from the freezer into the oven. It was like a drug. It was terrible. It was like this terrible obsession to get this story out about this family, which I did. And of course, it didn't come anywhere. It did not win or even get placed or anything. But the writing bug had started for me. And I could just not stop writing. So as soon as the children were at school, I would write. I would write every minute of the day. I would fall asleep over my computer. Um, Yes. So I have to thank my daughter because if she hadn't said that, I'd never have ever thought I'd be capable of writing a novel. And I would never have done it. And uh, yes. And look how far you've come and what you've achieved. My goodness. So if you could go back to that time when you were writing that story and um, yes, getting the meals out of the freezer. Nothing wrong with that. Of course not. Is there anything you would tell yourself with all that you've learned now? I think for my children's sake, I would have just told myself to calm down for those first six months because I do remember my daughter, the one who had pushed me to write, coming in from school and saying, Mummy, you know, we come in and we say hello to you and don't even notice we're here. Uh, because that's how obsessed I was. <laughs> so for those six months, I do feel that, you know, um, I wish I could go back and say, calm down. I used to feel, I hated interruption. I used to think that if they interrupted me in the middle of a sentence or a thought, I'd never be able to get back to it. So I'd keep saying, leave me alone, I'm writing. But now, of course, after a few months, I realised that I could go and cook a meal and come back and pick up the sentence in the middle and just carry on writing. So you know, in a way, I wish I'd been a little bit calmer at that time. But I think it was probably the first time I'd ever done anything for myself for so many years, because I'd married quite young. And then I'd had my children, I had five daughters. So I was really a hands on mum. And I was also teaching. So I really didn't have time to do very much for myself. And I think it was that, that feeling of this is my time, I'm doing something for me, and I didn't want to let go of it. So, and of course, I mean, maybe if I'd known that I would have the success that I've had, which I'm so grateful for, and it's all down to behind closed doors, you know, that might have um, made me take a step back a bit. But no, honestly, it was fantastic. I'm, I'm so grateful to my daughter for pushing me into it and for, for what my life has become, because I only started writing, um, yeah, I suppose it was about 10 years ago, a little bit more now. And Behind Closed Doors was only published in 2016. So the last six years have just been a whirlwind for me. Wow, that's amazing. And five daughters deserve an award for that. Yes, as well. <laughs> I think if I'd carried on having children, I would just have had daughters. So, um, But I didn't have, you know, people said when I was expecting the last one, I suppose you want a boy, this is why you're having a fifth one. And I said, no, actually, I want another girl because yeah. I've got four. I know how they work. <laughs> you know, I know how to bring them up. So, um But yes, no, it is lovely. It is lovely. I must admit, I feel very lucky about that too. Can you tell me how important do you think it is to get the right agent? It's really, really important because it is so hard to find an agent. I mean, I tried several times for several books. Um, Each time I wrote a book, I would send to about five agents and always get rejection letters or no rejection at all. Although I did get some really lovely letters saying you can write, it's just not the right book for the market, which was really helpful because once somebody in the profession has told you that you are a writer, it really gives you the courage to carry on writing and to accept the rejections, you know, that you get. And um, when I wrote Behind Closed Doors, I had a feeling that this was maybe a different kind of book. I'd never written a psychological thriller before and I hadn't realised it was a psychological thriller Um, And I decided to send out to the biggest agencies. And the one I really wanted was Darley Anderson. And I had never, ever sent anything out to Darley Anderson before because I thought they won't even look at me. They publish Lee Child, Martina Cole, um, Tara French. They're not going to look at me. 
But I did. I just took my courage in my hands and sent out to Darlie Anderson. And there was a particular agent I wanted. So I didn't even write her name on it. I didn't address it to her, but she actually picked it up. So it was like fate. And um, my agent is Camilla Bolton at Darlie Anderson. And I think it really is, really is important because they are the ones that have your back. And they're the ones that are on the end of the phone if things aren't going well or just if you need a bit of advice. And it really is important to feel that your agent is doing the best they can for you. Um, and so, yes, I would, if you get rejections from agents, it's probably just that they're not the right agent for you. So anybody out there um, looking for an agent, just carry on because there are hundreds out there, maybe even thousands, and there will be the right one for you. Yes, that's important not to just give up and... Uh... And keep going. But I must ask you my last question. What's next? What what can we expect? I mean, it's awful, really. You've just put so much hard work into a book that I've devoured. And already I'm asking you what's next. But go on, tell us what's next. OK, so my next book, um, which I hope will be published next year or maybe early 2024, I've already written the first draft. And the great thing is that both my editors in the US and in the UK love it. So I'm really pleased about that because you are writing in the dark a little bit. I prefer, you know, not to tell people what I'm writing and just write it and hope that they like it, which they do. So this is a story very much about a couple who are going through a difficult time um, because he has had an experience that he's unable to talk about. Um, and while they are going through this difficult patch in their marriage, a friend comes to stay, a friend who has left her husband. And really, it is about the effect that that friend has on them and their marriage. And But it's not a triangle sort of book at all. Um, and it is a psychological thriller. It's a thriller. There are thriller elements in it. And I really enjoyed writing it. I found it after The Prisoner. I found it much easier to write. The plot line is fairly simple. Um, and The Prisoner was quite complicated. But I'm already thinking about the one after that now, while I'm waiting for the edits to come back. So you're always a book or two ahead, really. Oh, wow. Wonderful. So there's more to look forward to. Well, B.A. Paris, whose latest book is The Prisoner. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was lovely chatting to you. Thanks, Philippa. Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right, so we're going to get stuck into some book reviews and then we're going to end up talking to Katie Ford, which I can't wait to do. Really excited about that. So the next book is The Interview by C.M. Ewan. And I had been watching a video on YouTube. Is it right to say video on YouTube? Is that the cool thing? Probably not. I was I was watching a channel on YouTube. That probably makes it sound better. Anyway, that we're talking about books with twists. Uh, I think it was Book Break that were, that were doing it. And they listed a number of different books, one of which we had on last week, the Fiona Cummins. And there were two others that they mentioned that are on this week. So the interview was one. And let me read the blurb. It's 5pm on a Friday. You've been called in to an interview for your dream job. In a stunning office, 13 floors above the city below, you are all alone with the man interviewing you. Everyone else has gone home for the weekend. The interview gets more and more disturbing. You're feeling scared. The only way out is to answer a seemingly impossible question. If you can't, what happens next? And let's do the first sentence. Well, the first sentence... Oh, yeah, no, actually, OK, let's, let's read the first page. It's a few lines. A fist bangs on a sheet of glass bangs again. On one side of the glass, all is still and hushed. On the other side, the air sings with shouts and screams. 130 feet up, in the middle of a city of nine million people, and nobody hears or sees a thing. I, I just love this book. I thought it was great. It sort of consumes you. It's incredible that so much action can occur in such a small location it was a bit like the films with you know Bruce Willis in when he's in a tower block and trying to save people from other people that sort of thing it's not like that at all I don't know it just it just felt a bit like that and if someone had said to me you've got to write a whole book based primarily in a room I'd be fine for the first few chapters, but I'd run out of different things to do and happen. And yet this book just pulls it off. I thought it's a great, it's a great read. If you're going away, I think it's a great book to take with you. It's it's fun in a way because it's quick and, and relatively easy to read, but really enjoyable. Good twist. I mean, they were right on, on the old YouTube that this has got lots of twists in. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Bravo. Well, well done, CM Ewan. Good, good writing. And then the next one is The Club by Ellery Lloyd. We've obviously had Ellery Lloyd on before to talk about their previous book, which was called <laughs> People Like Her. Come on, Philippa. We'll get there in the end. Anyway, here we go. Here's the blurb. 
The Home Group, a collection of ultra-exclusive private members' clubs, is a global phenomenon, and the opening of its most ambitious project yet, Island Home, a forgotten island transformed into the height of luxury, is billed as the celebrity event of the decade. But as the first guests arrive, it turns out that things are far from perfect at home, because sometimes it's the most beautiful people who have the ugliest secrets. And in a world where reputation is everything, they do anything to keep them. And let's do the first few sentences. By the time the Land Rover was halfway across the causeway, it must have been obvious that they were never going to make it, not at the speed that the tide was coming in, not with that distance still to go. At which point, what do you do? One passing point aside, even at its broadest, the road linking the island to the mainland is only ever about a vehicle and a half wide. Even at its highest, at the lowest tide, the road is only a foot or two above the level of the surrounding mudflats. There is nowhere even to attempt a three-point turn. There is no way you are going to get back to the island in reverse, blind drunk, in the middle of the night, in a borrowed and unfamiliar vehicle. Yeah, again, I enjoyed this. My goodness. As someone else says, it starts off with you thinking, oh, wow, this sounds an incredible place. I'd love to go and stay there. And by the end, you're, you're thinking, please never invite me to this place. I never wish to mix with these people or stay there just because it's got, you know, marble everywhere. <laughs> doesn't mean it's going to be an enjoyable holiday. I thought it was good. It had lots of twists. I think if you're looking for one book that has more twists of the two, I'd say the interview had more twists. But the club has, you know, it's um, a bigger place that it's based on. The more character, I don't know, they're both different. I'd say read both. I think you would enjoy both of them for different reasons. That's what I'm struggling to say. They're good for different reasons. But yeah, I enjoyed that as well very much. Now. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I always uh, showing my age here, but um, I loved the uh, comic Victoria Wood, and she would always pronounce Malibu's Malibu, Malibu Rising. Is what I always want to say when I see this book. So uh, I know that's not quite how you pronounce it, but anyway, my review of Malibu Rising is. Well, shall I do the blurb first? A lot of you have heard of this book. I'll do the blurb first. OK. August 1983. It is the day of Nina Rivers' annual end of summer party. Everyone who is anyone wants to be around the Reavers. Surfer and supermodel Nina, brothers Jay and Hud and their baby sister Kit. Together, the siblings are a source of fascination in Malibu and the world over, especially as the children of the legendary singer Mick Reaver. By midnight, the party will be completely out of control. By morning, the Reaver Mansion will have gone up in flames. And before that, the alcohol will flow, the music will play and the secrets will come bubbling to the surface. Ah, uh, first sentence. I was just about to go into what I thought. That's <laughs> the first sentence. Malibu catches fire. It is simply what Malibu does from time to time. Tornadoes take the flatlands of the Midwest. Floods rise in the American South. Hurricanes rage against the Gulf of Mexico and California burns. So I read this on holiday. It was an easy read. It was it was good, but it wasn't great. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you've got a copy, read it. Nothing wrong with it. But it wasn't like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. But I certainly enjoyed it. And 
yeah, it was it was absolutely fine. I'll say no more than that. No, nothing wrong with it. And there we go. <laughs> so there we go. That's I'm not going to pronounce it the way I do again because I'm going to lose so many listeners saying, saying it like that. But the things that make me laugh, I tell you, when there's stuff going on in the world, you have to find humour somewhere. And I find it in the weirdest of places. So anyway. What's not weird is our last book, A Wedding in Provence by Katie Ford. Now, listen to the blurb of this. Alexandra has always loved a challenge, which is why she now finds herself standing outside an imposing chateau in Provence, waiting for her inside are three rather hostile children who are to be her charges for the next few months. They will soon be more friendly, she tells herself. All they need is some affection and some fun. Far more of a challenge, though, is their father, Antoine, an impossibly good-looking French count. <laughs> Let's do a first sentence. Chapter one. Paris, autumn 1963. Alexandra still couldn't quite control her excitement. She was in Paris. True, it was only for 24 hours, but the October day was bright and full of possibility. She loved Paris, although she'd only visited it once years ago when her nanny had taken her so that she, her nanny, could visit her boyfriend. Paris had made a deep impression on her and she was enjoying every moment of being there. What a lovely book this was. It was just delightful. It had lots of food references, which I absolutely loved. And <laughs> I just get feeling hungry while I was reading it. I just thought it was a just lovely escape away from some of the other books that I enjoy reading. And what I do say as well, if you've got um, some books that you want to read and maybe one is uh, nastier than the other, um, read them in sync. So read a chapter of one and a chapter of the other. And that's what I did with Katie's book. It was a lovely respite from some of the more harrowing books that I read. And I really enjoy both books as a result. I mean, don't don't read books that are similar in that way. Well, I couldn't because I just get confused and mixed up with who was who. But when you've got two very different books and it's easy to identify the two different stories, then go for it. But anyway, I think we should talk to Katie now. So Katie Ford, whose latest fabulous book is A Wedding in Provence. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Really excited to talk to you, Kate. Uh, having read your books for more years than I care to admit, because obviously I'm still only 20, so we, we won't talk about how, how long I've read your books. So am I. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about this book? This book is the second in a trilogy about three girls who all join a cookery class at the same time, a cookery course at the same time, which is very um, much based on a cookery course that I did myself, although I actually did mine later. And I just pushed it back into the 60s because I thought the 60s were more fun. And the 70s, I just, I don't know, it doesn't have that ring somehow, does it? And so I thought, set it in the 60s. And there are three girls and they all join the course and they've all got different reasons for being there. And through the trilogy, we follow the stories of three of the girls. And the first one, A Wedding in the Country, was about Lizzie, who joined because her mother thought that um, she had to learn to cook in order to get a suitable husband, who would probably be a bank manager. And then there's Alexandra, who this book is about, who um, comes from a very wealthy family, but she's an orphan. 
and she has guardians who live in Switzerland and they think that they know what she's doing in London but of course they don't know what she's doing. Um, but in the end of the first book there's a bit of a, an upset and they come from Switzerland, they discover what's going on and they've said, right Alexandra, you've got to come to Switzerland and probably go to finishing school or something dreadful. So she's on her way to Switzerland and she stops in Paris because she has to change trains, which is fair enough. And she loves Paris. She once went as a young thing and she thinks, no, I'm going to have a day in Paris. I don't care. And then I'll do whatever they want me to do. But this is my day. I'm going to have a day in Paris. And so that's where the book starts. What happens to her when she gets off the train in Paris? That's wonderful. And it shows how shocking my research is because I didn't know it was part of a trilogy. So I just went into it blind. I hadn't read the previous book and it, it didn't affect my enjoyment of it at all. So if people haven't read book one I'd say don't worry about it you know it's um it's a book you can just jump into well I hope it is I mean I meant to make them so all three could be just read on their own but if you do want to follow the stories there are three and it sort of made life a bit easier for me as a writer because I knew that a lot of the characters I knew Alexandra quite well when I first started writing her and she's one of those characters that she really told me what was going to happen. And I was following along behind saying, but that's too difficult for me. I can't write about Paris in the 60s. I can't write about Provence in the 60s because I haven't been there in the 60s. But um, she had her own story and she was determined that I would tell it as it happened. And I wasn't really allowed much of a look in. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, gosh, yes, I'm going to have to go back and read book one now and learn even more about about the characters. Uh, and in this book, I have to say, I love the characters. I love the food. I got very hungry with all these references <laughs> about food. Uh, you know, did you want us to get really hungry when we were reading this? I, I love writing about food. I think food takes you to a place very quickly. I think it's good shorthand for a place. And it, you've got to write something. You've got to give people a sense of place, but you don't want to give them too much scenery. You want a bit of scenery, but too much is quite boring. Um, you know, just read on and on about the wonderful lavender fields, which are indeed wonderful, and Provence is absolutely stunning, and do go there. But um, I think for a reader, the food is a shortcut. And I think it gives a sense of the atmosphere of what's going on. It either the food fits into the mood of the group or it's against the mood of the group and they're eating very peasant food and very formal circumstances. I just feel food is quite a useful writerly tool. And I do love food, obviously, which isn't so obvious because you can't see how obvious it is. <laughs> But that's interesting. I'd never I love reading about food, but I'd never thought of it as sort of a, an easy way to transport me to places and get me involved in the setting, the location and, and what's going on. Is food something that you tend to use in all your books? I mean, I, it just hadn't occurred to me. Yes. Well, I do like to put food in. In fact, I do have uh, my brother-in-law quite often says there's too much food in this book. And he gets across if I have too much food. And, you know, even though I'm not a great cook, I mean, I don't, I'm not terribly brilliant at it. I'm very interested in it and which part of the country they eat these things and why. You know, what does the country produce? 
Is it does it have wonderful cheese because of the milk that's grown on the you know the Alps and things? I mean, I just find the whole thing fascinating. So I do put it in my books quite a lot, and I think I let myself put a bit more in a wedding in Provence because it's France and that's all about the food. So, are you eating food while you're writing? And are you eating the food that you're writing about or is it not that technical? No, no, it's not that. I'm probably either not eating or it's a biscuit. You know? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not a wonderful dough that's been simmering for days. <laughs> but I do use a lot of garlic in my food. When I'm cooking, I use a lot of garlic. But no, it's not quite as literal as that. Um, but when I'm reading, also it tells you a lot about a place. Um, I mean, I, I had a wonderful book I got from the internet talking about the high mountains in Provence. I just get so fascinated by it all because it's connection with the land and the environment and I and the people. I just feel it's a good linking thing that we and we all have to eat. Yes, we do. We have considerable <laughs> interest and relish. Um, books are an escape for so many. I just wondered is writing an escape for you or is it because you've been doing it for so long now less of an escape well it is a bit of a an escape i wrote the first one in this trilogy during lockdown and it was a complete escape because i didn't have to think about a covid because amongst writer friends we were saying if we're writing contemporary fiction do we have to mention covid is it ridiculous not to mention it what do we do and i didn't have to think about that because just by chance, I decided to move to the 60s and I didn't have to think about it. And I can just I could just lose myself in the past um, and the romance of it all without having to think about the horrible realities. And I did find it a huge comfort. And I wrote for much more time than I would normally because I couldn't cope with the news and too much of it. And it was just the outside world seemed a bit dreadful. And so here is my place of safety. And so I hope my readers will get the same thing, even though, you know, COVID is sort of, we're all living with it now and it's not quite so bad, but the rest of the world is fairly dreadful. So I'm hoping, um, I always do this actually when I write, I like to create a place of safety so people can say, well, nothing too bad is going to happen in this book. <laughs> and I just wondered how optimistic do you have to be yourself about love to write your books because you've got to be fairly positive about it yes well I am fairly uh, optimistic about love I sort of do believe in it I've just celebrated my 50th wedding anniversary oh congratulations wow <laughs> and while I've also um you know I don't really think that if you looked at our relationship from the outside you'd say oh I don't know if they're very well suited I mean we don't like that many of the same television programs we don't read the same things um you know we don't go for long walks hand in hand or anything like that but when push comes to shove in the evening you know when you have time to relax um you know my husband is the only one I really want to be re relaxing with you know it, it's a, again it's a place of safety and obviously we've been through a lot in 50 years that's wonderful yeah that that's wonderful and it just shows you don't have to do everything together you don't have to have exactly the same hobbies or interests it's that that feeling of being together that Yes. Well, my husband's always telling people that we've got nothing in common. I think we do have a few things in common that aren't the children and the grandchildren, which, of course, we do have in common. And we're both equally um, besotted by. 
But um, no, I think that we, I think we do have things in common if we really struggle. We both read a lot, and we both always have read a lot. And in fact, we do read at meal times, which is rather dreadful. Oh no, that sounds wonderful! I'd love that. Well, if only let me read. Nice. I mean, it doesn't mean that you won't. We won't talk to each other, but we just like we're both sort of print junkies. I think you know. You see, we've just got to have a little bit of a magazine while we're eating whatever it is we're eating. <laughs> and you've been writing for such a long time. How has the sort of writing and publishing world changed? Oh, it's changed enormously. In that there's so much more competition for writers like me. When I first started writing, there weren't very many people who wrote the sort of books I write. Um, and now there are many, many. And also there are celebrities writing books left, right and centre. And you can't mm. blame them. I mean, you know, they're offered enormous amounts of money to do this and no one would turn that down. But it means that we're all competing. So there's a sort of a... We're all com- more of us competing for a probably smaller market because there are so many other things that people can do. When I first started writing, if I walked, got on a train and I walked up to the cafeteria bit, I would see a lot of people reading. And now I see a lot of people on their, um, you know, watching films or just looking at their phones. Um, and so when I've got to the stage now and I spent a lot of time looking out of the window and I tell myself it's my job to look out of the window because I have to get inspiration from somewhere. <laughs> Although I do read, I I think I probably read a bit less and look out of the window more, but I don't do all the other things because I'm so um, old-fashioned and not very techy. And yet authors these days are almost obliged to be on social media. It's part of it. Again, how comfortable is that? Well, I don't mind um, being on Twitter, but I don't get into arguments and I only sort of talk about myself, really. Or I quite talk about my poor husband quite a lot about the awful thing he's just done. And honestly, can you believe this? (laughs) So there's lots of that. But I don't get too involved in current arguments because it's not what I want to be doing. You know, I use Twitter to chat with my writer friends and anyone else who's there, you know, I'm happy to, um, so I like to support other writers, actually. It's one of the things I like to do, and Twitter's a good place to do that. And I've yet to go on TikTok properly, although I do have a little plan. I had a little series of films planned for TikTok, but I need someone to come and film them. Oh, TikTok's great fun. Yes, you should join us on TikTok, Katie. Well, I think it would be fun. I've got this idea that I'd have... Um, we'd have words of wisdom from the writer Katie Ford in the voiceover and then there'd be me with my incredibly scruffy desk and then writing with all the grandchildren hanging off me and <laughs> you know so you know so you must have a tranquil sort of, you yes. know, right with and there's all the junk and clutter that's on mine and then you know all the grandchildren when I say well, you must find a place of tranquility and peace with, you know, as I say, being hung off by animals and children. So I, I think that would be quite fun to do, but I, I need help with the technique. Oh, no, that sounds great. I look, look forward to seeing that. So, you know, we've enjoyed a wedding in Provence. I, I presume when I ask what's next, it's going to be the next in the series. But tell me, it's, what is next? That The next one is called One Enchanted Evening, and it's about the third of my three girls um, and of course, the first two girls do appear. So there are some old friends. If you have read the previous books, or even A Wedding in Provence, actually, because everyone turns up there, 
um, they appear again in the final book. And in fact, now I've got to start writing a book which isn't, um, you know, about these three girls who I know so well. And it's all, it's going to be contemporary. And I thought, oh my goodness, people will have mobile phones. How weird. (laughs) How will I do with that? (laughs) Well, we just look forward to it with, with interest. It's just been wonderful to talk to you. Katie Ford, whose latest book is A Wedding in Provence. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, that's your lot. I think we've covered quite a few books today. Let's go and have a bit of a recap. So the first book I reviewed was The Prisoner by B.A. Paris. And Bernadette very kindly came on and talked to us about that book. Um, I also reviewed A Wedding in Provence and Katie Ford very kindly came on to talk to us about that book. Then I reviewed, if I can pick it off the pile, The Interview by C.M. Ewan. Oh, and I should say, I did get the interview from the library. So some of these books are available in your local library, if that's what you're looking for. I also reviewed The Club by Ellery Lloyd. And finally, Malibu. What do I say? Malibu Rising. I'm sorry. It's an old joke. It's the last time I say it, I promise. By Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, if you survive this week, do come back again next week. I promise not to do uh, silly pronunciations of words. It's just what's happening today. I've got some. Oh, yes. Now, next week, I'm going to be interviewing two very different but similar publishers, if that makes sense. They're both independent publishers, one much newer than the other, but both with really good books, really good authors and really interesting stories to tell. And I think I think it's going to be quite interesting to hear from them and uh, find out more about the world of publishing. So that's that. But there will also, of course, be book reviews because I'm reading books right now and I've got to talk to you about them. So fear not. So that's next week. Anyway, just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.